Section three of Porgy by Debose Hayward. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Denise Ray. Part two. The languor of a southern May was in the air. It was a season dear to the heart of a Negro. Work on the wars was slowing down, and the men were putting in only two or three days a week. There were always some of them lying about the court, basking in the sun, laughing and telling stories, while they waited for their women to come from the white folks' kitchen with their full dinner pails. Near the entrance, the stevedores usually lounged, their great size differentiating them from most of the other men. They had bright bandanas about their thick necks, and under their blue cotton shirts moved broad, flat backs that could heft a five-hundred-pound cotton bale. Earning more money than the others, and possessing vast physical strength in a world of brute force, they lorded it swaggerly about the court, taking the women that they wanted, and dressing them gorgeously in the clashing crimsons and purples that they loved. Grief over the loss of Robbins had stormed itself out at the funeral. Peter's ill fortune still occasioned general comment, but slight concern to the individual. There was an air of gaiety about. The scarlet of the geraniums was commencing to flicker in a run of windy flame on each window sill, and from the bay came the smell of salt air blown across young marsh grass. At the wharf, across the narrow street, the fishermen were discharging strings of gleaming whiting and porgy, vegetable sloops blowing up from the sea islands with patched and tawny sails, broke the flat cobalt of the inner harbor with a cross-wash of their creamy wakes. Through the back door of the cook-shop, Maria, the youth proprietress, could be seen cutting shark steaks from a four-foot hammerhead that one of the fishermen had given her. All in all, it was a season for the good things of life, to be had now for scarcely more than the asking. Only Porgy sat lonely and disconsolate in his doorway, and watched the sunlight creep up the eastern wall until it faded to a faint red at the top. Then the blue dust grew under the wharf, and swirled through the street and court. He had not been able to get to his stand since Peter's departure, and the small store of coins which he kept under a loose brick in his hearth was nearing exhaustion. Also, he missed his old friend keenly, and could not enter into the light-hearted life about him. Presently, two women entered. Porgy saw that they were Robin's widow and her sister, who now shared her room. He had been awaiting their coming eagerly, as they had left in the early afternoon, to carry bed-clothing and food to the jail for Peter. "'How y'all feelin', sister?' he hailed. The young woman paused, standing in the shadow, and the widow lowered herself to a seat beside Porgy. She had put her grief aside and gone resolutely about her task of earning a living for the three children. "'I can't puzzle this thing out,' she said after a while. The old man ain't done a ting, and they done got him lock up like a chicken thief. They say they gots to keep him until that nigger crown get couch, and God knows when dat devil on the thing going to happen. It's sure pay nigger to go blind in this world, contributed the young woman. 
Porky ain't got much leg, but he sure got sense. After a moment of reflection, Porgy replied, Sense done very well, but he can't lift no weight. A big stevedore was crossing the court, his body moving easily with the panther-like flow of enormous muscular power under absolute control. The beggar's eyes became wistful. Sense got power to take a ting out of your gets here, he said, but he never puts biddle in a belly, what can't leaving he rest in place. What I going to do now since Peter gone and I can't get on the street? Pray, brother, pray, said the widow devoutly. Ain't you see God done softened the heart of that yellow burying on the taker a ten I, I done paid him with a whole day and night? God gets leg for the cripple. Bless the Lord, ejaculated the young woman, and he got comfort for the widow. Oh, my Jesus, crooned Porgy, beginning to sway, and food for the fatherless. Yes, Lord, and he going to raise this poor nigger out of the dust. Hallelujah! And set him in the seat of the righteous. Amen, my sister. For a little while, the three figures, showing now only as denser shadows in a world of shade, swayed slowly from side to side. Then, without saying a word, Porky drew himself across his threshold and closed the door very softly. It was not yet day when Porky awakened suddenly. His eyes were wide and his face was working with unwanted emotion. In the faint light, that penetrated his blared window from a street lamp, he made his way to the hearth and removed the brick from his secret depository. With feverish haste he counted his little store, placing the coins in a row before him. Then with the utmost care he recounted them, placing them in little piles, one for the coppers, one for the nickels, and one for the dimes. When he had fully satisfied himself as to the extent of his wealth, his tension relaxed and tying the money in a rag which he tore from his bedclothing, he closed his hand firmly upon it, crawled back into bed, and immediately fell asleep. Two days later, Porgy drove his chariot out through the wide entrance into a land of romance and adventure. He was seated with the utmost gravity in an inverted packing case that proclaimed with unconscious irony the virtues of a well-known toilet soap. Beneath the box, two solid, lopsided wheels turned heavily. Before him, between a pair of improvised shafts, a patriarchal goat tugged with the dogged persistence of age, which has been placed upon its metal, and flaunted an intolerable stench in the face of the complacent and virtuous soapbox. As oblivious of the mirth-provoking quality of his appearance, as he was of smell to which custom had inured him, Porgy turned his equipage daringly into a new thoroughfare and drove through a street where high, bright buildings stood between wide gardens and where many ladies passed and repassed on the sidewalks or in glittering carriages. But the magic that had come to pass even in the triumph of that first morning stirred vague doubts and misgivings within him. He noticed that while he occasioned slight comment in the Negro quarter, no sooner had he entered the white zone 
that people commenced to pass him with averted faces and expressions that struggled between pity and laughter when he finally reached his old stand before the apothecary shop these misgivings crystallized into a definite fear several of his clients happened to be passing the shop together one of them was the clerk to an apothecary further down the street he seized his nose with one hand while he pointed at porgy with the other then all seized their noses shaking with laughter and waited to see what would happen porgy looked his outfit over carefully certainly it was working with the utmost satisfaction somewhat mystified he tied the ancient animal to a post and with great gravity swung himself out of his wagon across the pavement and to his old stand the boys who had laughed stood nearby and were joined by others until soon there was quite a group presently there issued from the shop the loud voice of the proprietor oh mary come quick and bring the broom something has died again then followed the sound of boxes being overturned while dust from a prodigious sweeping bellied in clouds from the door then the apothecary very red in the face came out for air and found the goat the burst of laughter that greeted him increased his irritation brandishing the broom and in no uncertain language he drove porgy from his door but the bystanders had enjoyed the joke at the apothecary's expense and were feeling in such high good humor that when porgy had an opportunity to appraise his collections he found that they amounted to more than he frequently got from a whole day of patient waiting it is impossible to conceive of a more radical change than that brought about in porgy's life by his new emancipation from his old circumstances which had conspired to anger him always to one spot he was now in the grip of new forces that as inevitably resulted in constant change of scene soon he became quite a metropolitan and might have been seen in any part of the city either sitting in his wagon at the curb or if the residents of the locality seemed lenient in their attitude toward goats disembarking and trying his luck in the strip of shade along the wall in those days every one tolerated porgy for a while he had become a character the other beggars gnashed their teeth but were powerless on certain days he returned to the south where he left the court and soon would emerge into a land of such beauty that he never lost the illusion that it was unreal no one seemed to work in that country except the happy well-clothed negroes who frequently came to back gates when he passed and gave him tender morsels from the white folks kitchens the great gleaming houses looked at him with kindly eyes that peered between solid walls of climbing roses ladies on the deep piazzas would frequently send a servant running out to give him a coin and speed him on his way before the houses and the rose trellises stretched a broad drive and beyond its dazzling belt of crushed shell the harbor lay between its tawny islands like a sapphire upon a sailor's weathered hand sometimes porgy would steal an hour from the daily rounds pause there and watch a great blunt-nosed steamer heave slowly out of the unknown to come to rest with a sigh of spent steam and a dusty thundering of released anchor chains 
gall she got a long arm he would murmur or porgy your show is a little something after all then there would be other days when he would repair to the narrow retail street with his unbelievable windows and drawing near to the curb then there would be other days when he would repair to the narrow retail street with his unbelievable windows and drawings near to the curb and drawing near to the curb between the tall carriages of the shoppers would fall heir to the pennies which they got with their change and which were of no value to such as they always kind hands dropped coins in his cup and sped him on they were great days for porgy and great were the nights when he would tell of his adventures to the envious circle that gathered in the dusk of the court but porgy was by nature a dreamer and there were times even in those days when his mind returned with wistful longing to the old uninterrupted hours when he used to sit lost in meditation under the unmarked drift of time some day he would tell himself there would come one with a compassion so great that he would give both porgy and the goat place by his doorstep then life would be perfect indeed june and the cotton season was over the last tramp steamer had faded into the horizon great sheds that linked land and sea lay empty and dark and through their cavernous depths echoed the thud and suck of waves against the bulkheads the last of the stevedores had departed some to the plantations others to the phosphate mines and still others to the river barges the long hot days so conducive to indolence brought a new phase of life to catfish row the loud talk and noisy comings and goings diminished men came in earlier in the evenings and spent more time with their women porgy sat alone in his doorway in a room overhead a man and his wife were engaged in a friendly quarrel that ended in laughter from an open window nearby came the sound of drowsy child voices in the crowded dark about him life with cruel preoccupation was engrossed with his internal business a large matronly woman who lived near him passed carrying a pail of water she stopped sat down her burden and dropped a hand on porgy's shoulder what the matter with this man he ain't got nothing to say she asked him kindly porgy's face contracted with emotion he caught her hand and hurled it from him let me be he rasped in a tight husky voice you done got your own man ain't you oh lord she laughed as she turned away you ain't think i wanted you is you don't do listen to the man through the early night a woman had lain in the dust against the outer wall of maria's cook shop she was extremely drunk and unpleasant to look upon exactly when she had dropped or been dropped there no one knew porgy had not seen her when he had driven in at sunset but he had heard some talk of her among those who had entered later one of the men had come in laughing i see crowns best outside he said must be she come round to look for em she's sure gonna have one long rest and she gonna wait there for him that nigger gone from here fast and far another had averred it was ten o'clock and maria was closing her shop 
the great negress was in the act of fastening the window when the tall gaunt form of the woman lurched through the door into the faint illumination of the smoking lamp the visitor measured the distance to the nearest bench with wandering and vacant eyes plunged for it and collapsed with head and arms thrown across the table maria was exasperated but equal to the emergency catching the woman around the middle she swung her easily to the door dropped her into outer darkness and returned to the window a crash caused her to turn suddenly there was the woman again sprawled across the table as before i swear to god exclaimed the provoked negress if you ain't the persistent nigger i ever seen she went over lifted the woman's head and looked into eyes in the far depths of which a human soul was flickering feebly something to eat the woman whispered let me have something to eat and i'll go growling like an approaching equinocatal gale maria brought bread and fish and emptying the dregs of the coffee pot into a cup placed it before her now eat and travel sister she said advisedly laconically the woman raised her head an ugly scar marked her left cheek and the acid of utter degradation had etched hard lines about her mouth but eyes into which human consciousness was returning looked fiercely into the determined face of the big negress for a moment she ate wolfishly then asked suddenly who live in that room crossed the way porgy she was informed but such as you ain't got's no use for he he's a cripple and a beggar he that man with goat yeah he got's goat the woman's eyes narrowed to dark, unfathomable slips. I hear says he got good money from dem white folks, she said slowly. In silence, the meal was finished. Then the woman steadied herself a moment with hands across the table, and, without a word to Maria, walked quickly with an almost haughty carriage from the room. She crossed the narrow drive with a decisive tread, opened the door of Polgi's room, entered and closed the door behind her. It was late afternoon. Serena Robbins entered the court, paused at Porgy's door, and gave a sharp rap on the weathered panel. The door was opened by a woman. The visitor looked through her and spoke directly to Porgy, who sat within. "'I got good news,' she announced. "'I done been to see my white folks about Peter.' and they say they got a friend who's a lawyer, and he can get him out. I tell him to send him to see you about him, cause you got so much sense when you talk to the white folks. Having delivered her message, Serena turned a broad back upon the woman who stood silently in the doorway, and with the bearing of an arbiter of social destinies, strode to her corner of the court across the drive maria vast and moist hung over her stove in a far corner of her cookshop several negroes sat at the little tables eating their early suppers laughing and chaffing you sure got good-looking white gals in this town drawled a slender young octoroon he was attired in sky-blue peg-top trousers yellow spats and in the centre of a scarlet bow-tie gleamed an immense paste horseshoe 
Do listen to sportin' life, said a black loutish buck admiringly. If he ain't lookin' at de rollin' bones, he always got his eyes on de women. Maria's heavy tread shook the room as she crossed and stirred with her arms akimbo, scowling down at her iridescent guest. The man looked up, lowered his eyes quickly, and shifted uneasily in his chair. Nigger! She finally shot at him, and the impact almost jarred him from his chair. I just trying to figure out whether I better kill you decent now with your funds about you, or leave you for the white gentleman to hang at you a while. Come now, old lady. Don't talk like this old-fashioned lamp oil niggers would have had no advantage. Why, up in New York, where I've been waiting in a hotel? But he got no further. New York, she shouted. Don't you try any New York kin around this town. If I had my way, I'd go down to that New York boat and take every God's nigger would come up the gangplank with a Joseph coat on his back and a glass headlight on his bosom and drap him down to Catfish before he foot hit this ground. Yes, my barely fair ain't with this New York's talk. The first thing that them nigger forget is that them is nigger. Then them comes to this decent countryman's and fill em full of talk what a put money in the funeral undertaker pocket. Breathless, she closed her arrangement about her fist, bringing her fist the size of a ham, down upon the table with such force that her victim leaped from his chair and extended an ingratiated hand toward her. That all right, auntie. Let you and me be friend. Friend with you? And her tone dripped scorn. One of these days, I might lay down with a rattlesnake, and when that time come, you can come right along and get into the bed. But till then, keep your shiny carcass in New York till the devil ready to take change of em. Suddenly the anger left her eyes, and her face became grave. She leaned over and spoke very quietly into his face. For God's sake, don't talk that kind of talk down these boys. This country ain't never yet seen a black man get lynched. These nigger knows folks, and they knows nigger. For God's sake, keep your mouth off, white lady. You gets plenty of your own color for the talk bout. Stick to them, and you ain't getting into no trouble. During Marie's attack upon her guest, the court had been full of the many-colored sounds that accompanied its evening life. Now, gradually, the noise shrunk, seeming to withdraw it into itself. All knew what it meant. A white man had entered. The protective curtain of silence which the Negro draws about his life when the Caucasian intrudes hung almost tangibly in the air. No one appeared to notice the visitor. Each was busily preoccupied with his task, yet the newcomer made no move that was not noted by fifty pairs of inscrutable eyes. The man wore a soft hat, drawn well down over his face. He was slender and tall, and walked with his body carried slightly forward, like one who is used to meeting and overcoming difficulties. A young woman passed him. He reached out and touched her on the arm. 
she stopped and turned immediately toward him her eyes lowered her manner submissive but utterly negative i am looking for a man by the name of porgy he said in a clear pleasant voice can you direct me to his room porgy she repeated slowly as though trying to remember then she called aloud anybody here know a man by the name of porgy several of the slight bystanders looked up porgy they repeated one after another with shakes of the head the white man laughed reassuringly as though quite used to the proceeding come he urged i am his friend mr allen archdale i know that he lives here and i want to help him from behind her tub serena advanced knocking the ashes from her clay pipe as she came when she was quite close she stopped and peered up into the face above her then she turned upon the girl go long and call porgy she commanded can't you tell folks when you see em a light broke over the young woman's face oh you means porgy she cried as though she had just heard the name for the first time i ain't understand what name you say boss and echoes arose from different parts of the court oh yes the gentleman mean porgy how come we ain't understand then the tension in the air broke and life resumed its interrupted flow the young woman stepped to porgy's door and called presently the door opened and a woman helped the beggar out to his seat upon the sill then seated herself behind him in the deep gloom of the room archdale crossed the short distance and seated himself on the sill beside the negro tell me about your friend who got locked up on account of the robin's murder he asked without preamble in the dim light porgy leaned forward and looked long into the keen kindly face of his questioner archdale gave a surprised exclamation why you're the old man who used to beg in front of the apothecary shop on king charles street he said then after a moment of scrutiny but you are not old after all are you and he studied the face intently there was a touch of gray in the wool above the ears and strong character lines flared downward from the nose to corners of a mouth that was at once full-lipped and sensuous yet set in a resolute line most unusual in a negro with the first indications of age upon it the face seemed still alive with a youth that had been neither spent nor wasted but tell me about your friend said the visitor breaking a silence that was commencing to become tense porgy's face still wore its mask how come you to care boss he queried why i am the rutledge's lawyer and i look after their colored folks for them i think they must have owned half the slaves in the county a woman here serena robbins is the daughter of their old coachman or something and she asked them to help her friend out peter ain't got no money you know boss and i just begs from door to door there was still a shade of suspicion in porgy's voice archdale laughed reassuringly it will not take any money at least not much and i'm sure that mrs rutledge will take care of that so you can go right ahead and tell me all about it fully satisfied at last porgy told the tale of the killing and the subsequent arrest of peter when he had finished the recital archdale sat silent for a while the dirty hounds he said under his breath finally 
he turned wearily to porgy and explained slowly of course we can go to law about this but it will take no end of time there is an easier way he must have someone who is acceptable to the magistrate to go to his bond do you know a man by the name of heisenberg who keeps a corner shop down by the western wharf porgy listening intently nodded archdale handed him a bill take this ten dollars to him and tell him that you want him to go peter's bond he hasn't any money of his own and his shop is in his wife's name but he has had an arrangement with the magistrate that makes him entirely satisfactory he handed porgy a card with an address penciled under a printed name you will find me here he said if peter is not out in two days after you hand over the ten let me know then with a brisk but friendly good night he left the court there was great rejoicing in catfish row peter had returned the ten-dollar bill which archdale had given porgy had worked the miracle except for the fact that the old negro's shoulders drooped and his grip on actuality seemed weakened by his confinement there was no evidence to show that he had been absent he had gone to the horse-dealer and found his ancient beast still awaiting a purchaser another contract had been signed which had started him off again on the eternal weekly payment the german had driven back with the furniture which peter had docilely purchased for the second time again the great emancipator had been hung in his accustomed place above the mantel now each morning the old wagon rattled out over the cobbles with the usual number of small ecstatic black bodies pendant from its dilapidated superstructure the buckaroo she sure guess nigger figured it out to a cent said peter philosophically and even with a note of admiration in his voice dim knows how much money wagon make in her week and the horseman the furniture man and the landlord make the arrangement according but i done lived long enough now to beat them all cause money ain't no use to a man a true he, he done pass his prime know-how when the old man had settled firmly back into his nook and had an opportunity to look about him he noticed a change in porgy i tell you dat nigger happy he said to Serena one evening while they were smoking their pipes together on her washing bench go long with you she retorted dat woman ain't a kind to make man happy it take a killer like crown to hold his heart down dat may be so agreed the old man sagely but porgy don't know dat yet and side of a man is de kind with knees a woman he gonna be happy regardless him dress she up in her own eye till she look like the queen of sheba to him porgy tink right that he got a she god in his room he sure gets the kind we're going to give him hell serena commented cynically dat woman ain't fit to associate with much as i like porgy i wouldn't swap three word with she dat's all so sister conceded peter but you keep an, your eye on porgy he used to hate all dis chillin ain't he now watch him every day when he come home he got candy ball for the crowd and what month yesterday i hear he 
he and she singing together in the room. Serena motioned to him to be quiet. Porky's woman crossed the court to draw a bucket of water from the common tap near Serena's corner. She was neatly dressed and passed them as though they did not exist. Filling her pail, she swung it easily to her head and, steadying it lightly with one hand, returned close to them with an air of cool scorn that produced entirely different effects upon her two observers. Serena watched her departure in silence. Dat the ting, said Peter, a note of admiration in his voice. She sure ain't asking no visit often none of she neighbor. And he emitted an indiscreet chuckle, which was too much for his friend. You poor old walled-eyed soft-headed granddaddy. Ain't you shamed to sit there before me and talk sweet mouth about that murdering crown's best? If I was your age and her man, I'd save my soft words for the God-fearing ladies. If you was my age and a man, commenced Peter. He hesitated and looked long at her with his dim, kindly eyes. Then he shook his head. Nah, it ain't no use. You wouldn't understand. That's something she male sense ain't got to fur help you none with. And still shaking his head, he knocked out his pipe and departed in the direction of the stable, where he was presently greeted by a soft, comprehending whinny. Bess entered Porgy's room and swung a pail of water to its place besides the new wood stove that had superseded the old open hearth, and busied herself with preparations for supper. Porgy was seated in a low chair near the door. He was smoking contently, and the odd tension that had characterized him, even in his moments of silent thought, had given place to a laxed attitude of body and an expression of well-being. An infinitesimal negro passed with a whistle and a double shuffle. "'Look here, Sonny,' called Porgy. The boy paused, hesitated, and advanced slowly. Porgy held out a large, round ball, striped red and white. "'How about a sweet?' he said a little self-consciously. The boy took the candy and shuffled uneasily from foot to foot. "'That's right,' said Porgy with a burst of sudden warm laughter that somehow startled the child. "'Now you come again and see Porgy and Bess.'" End of Section 3